tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. Has any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church? That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. The little nasty technology demons are are attacking us with their tiny pitchforks. So, that said, we need to pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, let's go to the big book, the one on the coffee table, the Bible. This part of the scripture gives us more trouble than almost anything else in the Bible, when other parts of the Bible should be giving us a lot of trouble, like like the commandments and, and Jesus saying, uh, uh, you know, don't take revenge. Those should give us trouble. But people say, how come if the scientists say it's 14 billion years, the Bible says it's seven days? Well, I was explaining last week, the Bible doesn't say the world was created in seven days. It says it was created in six. Today, we have the story of the flood. And you will notice, right at the top of the, if you go to the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and you go to the daily reading site, you will see at the site big, big print daily readings, and then the date, and then a few little things, and then big, big letters, Memorial of St. Cyril, Monk, and Methodius Bishop. And then you will see the lectionary number. This is very useful for people who read in church. It's lectionary number 336. And then you will see reading 1. And right across the little line from that, you will see GN 6 colon 5 dash 8 semicolon 7 colon 1 dash 5 comma 10. Huh? That means it's the, the reading is taken from Genesis, the sixth chapter the 5th to the 8th verse, and then it jumps ahead to the 7th chapter, the 1st to the 5th verse, and then the 10th verse. Well, why are they cutting out so much of the Scripture? Because people have to get to work. That's one of the reasons. But you can do this on your break. Instead of gossiping in the coffee room, you can go on your handheld device and click on that little GN65, etc., and you will get the whole chapter. And I want to talk about the whole chapter 6 and then move on to chapter 7. Because these passages make people utterly crazy. 
when human beings began to grow numerous on earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw how beautiful the daughters of human beings were, so they took for their wives whomever they pleased. The Lord said, my spirit shall not remain in human beings forever. One of the ideas in the ancient world was that as history progressed, it got worse. We're the opposite. We think, oh, it's going to be wonderful. I think the ancients had a point. <laughs> we sort of have a civilization, and then we decide we don't need it. We just sort of make things up, and then we return to barbarism. And the cycle starts again. But the ancients believed the farther you got away from the origin of human beings, the less civilized or the shoddier things became. So uh, shoddy, an interesting word meaning poorly made. Maybe I should make that the word of the day someday. But the, this is, is, the Lord is seeing that the sons of God are consorting with the daughters of men. And the word is not daughters of human beings. I, I believe in the text it's daughters of men. And, and so they took their wives from whoever they pleased. So God says, enough. I'm not going to let them live forever. I'm not going to let them live terribly long. Because there were great patriarchs before who lived into the hundreds of years. I'm going to limit the length of their lives. Then in verse 4 it says, The Nephilim appeared on earth after the sons of God had, had relation or knew the daughters of human beings who bore them sons. These were the heroes of old, men of renown. Ooh, and you have all these things about the Nephilim and these monsters and these giants. I don't think it means any of that. I, I, I like what Dr. Hahn says about it. I think he really nails uh, the meaning of the text when he says the sons of God refer to the sons of the covenant. Remember, this is, this is uh, uh, the Bible is the story of a family. Jeff Cabin's Bible study does a wonderful, wonderful uh, treatment of this. Uh, the family of Adam and Eve all the way up to the family of Jesus. And we're members of that family by adoption. We're genetically part of that family in a very distant way, but we're, we're members of that family in a very intimate way through adoption. So, we are the sons of God because we're the sons of the covenant. So, uh, this, this uh, sort of semi-covenant under which people uh, lived, worshiping God as he deserved to be worshipped. Well, they saw the daughters of men who were not part of that covenantal family. And they, this is, this is, we don't like this at all, but this is a huge biblical theme that mixed marriage is not a good idea. That, that you're to marry within the covenant. Uh, and, well, that's just narrow-minded, maybe, but it's true. You know, uh, people who marry those with whom they do not share a common a philosophy, worldview, and, well, I'll say it, religious faith, have a very hard time, especially when it comes to children. What do you mean you're not going to let the children worship Baal? We've always worshipped Baal in my family. Well, we don't worship Baal, that kind of thing. So, this is about these these Nephilim. These, the word Nephilim, it seems to be from the Hebrew word to fall. So, the Nephilim and that I am ending is a plural. The Nephilim are the fallen. So they have fallen from the covenant. So I don't think this refers to giants and monsters and weird celestial beings and, and odd liaisons with, with, with demons. I, I don't, you know, 
There's all sorts of science fiction books and horror stories about that, and I think it's a bunch of, well, nonsense. Moving along. Now, this is another thing that bothers people. This is, this is what's leading up to our reading. When the Lord saw how great the wickedness of human beings was on earth, and how every desire that their heart conceived was always doing nothing but evil, the Lord regretted making human beings on earth, and his heart was grieved. Well, this is kind of interesting. Uh, the Lord changed his mind about something? No, he didn't change his mind, uh, change his mind about something. Uh, the word is, uh, um, let's see here. I, I just pulled it, I actually pulled it up before the show. Uh, he was, he was sorry. Well, God, God being sorry? Well, if you look at, at the scriptures in the New Testament, St. Paul tells us, uh, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, you mean we can make the Holy Spirit sad? Yes, and that word is in, in Ephesians 4.30. It means do not make the Holy Spirit uh, deeply sorrowful. <laughs> it's a very profound sorrow. And it actually, in the Greek text, actually means uh, the sorrow that one can feel in childbirth. The, um, the, 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 the pain of childbirth, it, it means... Uh, it means pain or vexation. The Lord was pained. And this is an amazing thing that we can, we can cause the Almighty pain. Most religions would say, no, you can't. God doesn't feel pain. He, God is love. And there's true pain involved with true love. Uh, and I'm not even a very romantic sort. So he was sorry. I think it's very important that we understand that. It's not that we have some translations who say he repented of what he'd done. In other words, he changed his mind. No, he didn't change his mind. He, he, uh, he grieved for his creation and decided to give it another chance. So uh, then we, we, we get to the reading uh, more properly today. Where did I put the today reading? Right there. Okay. All right. Uh, so I will wipe out from the earth the men whom I have created, not only men, but also the beasts and creeping. Now, this is a problem. There is no evidence of a worldwide flood. Oh, give me a break. The, the authors of this story had no concept of a worldwide anything. They had no concept of a worldwide world. The word for earth is Eretz in Hebrew. The word for land is Eretz. So you can translate this, I will destroy everything from the land. What land? Well, maybe the valley of the Tigris and Euphrates. Maybe, maybe the valley that became the, the Black Sea. It is very interesting to, uh, to notice that almost all cultures, or many, many cultures, seem to have a flood story. The flood was a given. Now, there's some interesting speculation. It might have been when the uh, natural... Uh, block between the Mediterranean and the, the Black Sea was overcome. It was a huge and sudden inundation. Maybe that was it. Who knows? I don't think it's important that we know which particular flood it was. But there is an almost universal history of flood stories in different cultures. Uh, there certainly is among the Babylonians, among whom it seems that from, who, from among whom the Hebrews seem to have come. So, this was, this was uh, not an unfamiliar story. The thing that we're reading in the text today is not so much about what happened as why it happened. 
it's a poetic interpretation, I would say, of details that were assumed by everyone explaining what or why this this human disaster happened. And that's what this is about. So I think that when people say, well, did the flood really happen? Yes, it did. And what you can, you can find out what God thought about the flood in, in Genesis, the sixth chapter. So that's kind of where I am. Let me go back to the whole chapter and see if there's anything else I want to uh, talk about. Let's see here. Okay. He, he prepares, you know, it's kind of funny, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Nobody quite knows what gopher wood is. The word in it for cypress wood in Hebrew sounds like gopher wood. You know, I, I don't think we need to, uh, to, uh, to agonize over that. But in verse 18, uh, the, 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 we read, I will establish my covenant with you. You shall go into the ark, your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. All right, so that's the story. So uh, understand that, that this is a poetic interpretation or a poetic, uh, this is kind of a, 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 I don't know if it's a fantasy or a parable, if it's precise history. That's, to me, that's not the point. Remember, I've shared with you that I, I look at the, uh, um, the first nine chapters of, of the book of Genesis as literally true from God's point of view. You know, if you had said to someone 200 years ago, there are tiny little animals so small that you can't see them and they can kill you, they would have laughed you off the stage. But it's true. So there you go. I mean, different eras have a different understanding of reality and a different way to look at reality. And poetry is a very, very good way to look at humanity, even for someone as unpoetic as myself. Okay, let us go to today's gospel. Hold on, because I need to talk about the gospel. I've got a couple minutes yet. Okay, this is Mark, the 8th chapter, 14th verse to the 21st verse. And I love this. Uh, at the end of the chapter, uh, um, do you not remember when I broke five loaves for the 5,000? How many wicker baskets were full? Uh, fragments you picked up? Uh, Twelve. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many full baskets of fragments did you pick up? Seven. I said, don't, you still don't understand. <laughs> I love it when some preacher says, well, this was really a miracle of generosity. Jesus shared what little he had. And, and this encouraged people to pull bread and stinking fish from under their togas or whatever they were wearing and share it with people. Jesus seemed to think that it was a miracle. He did it twice, and he thought it was a miracle. And Jesus didn't share what he had. He shared what some kid in the crowd had. You know, he took what the kid in the crowd had and multiplied it. Jesus thought he was working a miracle. Well, maybe Jesus was wrong. And those, those august theologians who say it was merely a, a miracle of generosity, maybe they're right. I prefer to think that Jesus was right myself. All right, moving along. This idea of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, this is the important point of it. And you know, I, I'm going to, this is what we call in the business of radio, a teaser. I'm going to make leaven the word of the day. And with that, we will go to a break. We will come back with some letters. Oh, the phone number, 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Bye.
Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for independent thinkers at relevantradio.com forward slash U Dallas. Now God said to Noah, I don't want no sinning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been telling you this since in the beginning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta round up your sons and all of their women. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're going on a big boat ride. ride. Now gather all the animals by the pair. Build a big ship about a million square and put all the animals right in there. I don't know if you noticed what's in today's reading. I think it was where they had the clean, unclean animals... Well, let me find it. Let me find it. Uh, they had the unclean animals uh, at the end of the chapter. Of every clean animal, take with you seven pairs, a male and its mate. Of the unclean animals, one pair, a male and its mate. Uh, likewise, every clean bird of the air, seven pairs. The, the, uh, the seven pairs, the seven should give it away. They, were, they needed a lot of clean animals to offer ritual sacrifice to the Lord. Because, heaven forfend, you wouldn't offer an unclean animal like a an owl or an osprey or an aardvark. I mean, really, you wouldn't offer that to the Lord. All right. That said, let's go to letters. Well, God loves aardvarks. The voice might just ask me, God doesn't like aardvarks. Yes, he likes them, but they're just not good for sacrifice. There you go. Moving along. <laughs> Are you questioning the Lord? <laughs> yeah, that's... Oh, no, he's questioning Father the Reverend Know-It-All. I don't want to get yeah, struck it, it, down. <laughs> the voice major said, I don't want to get struck down. For questioning the Reverend Know-It-All, you won't. Uh, but, God, that's the, the, you know, the idea of clean and unclean. Remember, when we hear clean and unclean in Hebrew, kosher and non-kosher, that word only appears once in the scripture, kosher, by the way, in the book of Esther, I believe. Uh, clean means acceptable for worship. It doesn't mean hygienically uh hygienically shiny it's not that's not what it's about all right let us go to rita from whitefish bay why were the community rails removed to church and also why are we not quiet instead of doing the sign of peace while the tavern instead of doing the tavern sign of peace while the tabernacles opened okay the communion rail uh is easy it's easy um uh the uh, a shallow uh, understanding of church architecture took the communion rails out because people forgot it was a communion rail and not a barrier now the communion rail is uh, catholicism's answer to the the iconostasis in 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 the greek church the iconostasis is a barrier between the altar and uh um the congregation, which has icons of saints in it. In other words, the idea is that the communion of saints and the angels convey the worshiper into the presence of God. Churches were designed on the model of the Jerusalem temple. That's what happened. And the communion rail, just as the, the I assume there was a rail uh, at the court of priests, I, I'm not sure, it separated those who were dedicated to the life of, of sacrificing to the Lord from the congregation. Because those who, who dared, even though they were called, they dared to go into the, 
the the more intimate presence. Uh, I'm going. There's going to be a long treatise here, so hang on. Those who dared to go into the more intimate presence of God were at far greater risk. And this this boundary between the holy or the holy place or the the, the court of the priests and the holy places, it was in a sense to protect the 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 people from from the power of God. When you protect them from the power of God, yeah. Because we read, for instance, the letters, letter that he was in, is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is. You'd better, when you approach communion, be in a state of grace. That's what St. Paul tells us. So this communion, real, this, is, this was the point at which God met the congregation. It was a, a railing for communion. You knelt at it, you waited, and the Lord came to you. You came up to the Lord, and the Lord came to you. It was a, a, a coming together at a certain spot. No, that's just clericalism. It's just this special cast of people. It was a shallow, uh, a shallow ecclesiology and a shallow ecclesiastical architecture. It was a bad sense of architecture. That's why they took the communion rails out, to bring the priest and the congregation together. And that was a great idea. Okay, moving along from that. Why are we not quiet instead of doing the sign of peace while the tabernacle is open because nobody's quiet any time in church and we don't have a sense of where we are uh you know that 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 the sign of peace in some places is like a no offense to the elks but it's like an elks convention it has less dignity sometimes than a clown car i have seen people jumping over pews to say hello to somebody goodness and, gracious you know, sakes alive Amen. That's, I agree wholeheartedly, dear voice in my head. You know, that, that the person next to you is the whole church. When you greet the person next to you, be it a stranger, a friend, your spouse, your children, when you're greeting the person next to you, you're greeting the whole church. That They are symbolically, they are your neighbors symbolically. They are the whole church and you're greeting them. And I, in, in, the, uh, in the liturgy, as I recall it, as a lad, uh, the sign of peace was exchanged among the clergy right before communion, just to make the point of it was to make sure everyone was right with God. You know, the little, the little breaking of the, of the host and the little particle that's put in the chalice, that's part of the sign of peace. What they would do in the ancient church to express their solidarity with the next diocese over or, or with some distant diocese the the, the, the bishop would send, um, for instance, they've been having a theological discussion on which they didn't agree, he said, trying to be oblique. And things worked out. A bishop would send a particle of the consecrated uh, host to his neighboring bishop. And the neighboring bishop would put it in the chalice. And so that, that breaking that breaking of bread and that uh, intinction of a small piece of the host in the chalice is about peace. And that's where we had the sign of peace. The clergy would exchange a sign of peace at the altar, very kind of formally. Uh, you grasp the elbows of the person next to you and kind of bowed. It was very formal. There was no patting on the back, none of that stuff. And it was to express that I am at peace with, with my fellow believers. Now it's, hey, Fred, I haven't seen you in weeks. Come on over and give me a hug. That's not what the sign of peace is about. It's Nip express... it in the bud. Exactly. Nip it right there in the bud. It's to express that we are in fellowship with each other and 
I can go to communion because I am right with my neighbor. So this kind of what that 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 canoe is over the waterfall a long time ago. I don't know how to get the genie back in the bottle, but uh, um, you know, it's just it, it has it has been the sign of peace has been uh, an excuse for a lot of well interesting things. So <laughs> enough of that. Moving along. All right, let me go to my next my next communication. Uh, this is from uh, this is this is from someone who's asked for prayers for her husband who is is quite ill and and uh, uh, I will certainly be praying for him uh, and and um, I, he's he's someone who she wants to remain a little bit anonymous I think um, but um, uh, he's been quite ill so do keep him just keep that anonymous person in your prayers. And that's what we'll do. All right. Let's see here. Oh, oh! I wanted to mention this. Uh, uh, Father Father Hoffman, uh, Father Rocky sent a wonderful article uh, about the Catholic home. And it's just the essentials of a Catholic home. And one of the things that really struck me is that, uh, you know, this is kind of the house I grew up in. It's a house filled with the communion of saints. Once again, the communion of saints. Uh, images of the saints, especially our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, we always, always had a little cross, a crucifix, a little crucifix, and a, an image of our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, and then there was another image of St. Joseph, a statue of St. Joseph holding the child Jesus on the bread box. We called him St. Joseph of the bread box because he was a provider. And uh, when I, growing up, for me, a room without a crucifix was, was an empty room. You know, there was no furniture there. There might have been glorious sofas and all that. But a room without a crucifix, that means the living room, the dining room. There was always, a, and I was raised to, that there should be a crucifix in every room. And it's a wonderful thing, the images of the saints, because we live in a celestial world. And these are not objects of worship. They're not good luck talismans. They're reminders that we're part of a great family. So I, I very much enjoyed that that uh, article. Uh, uh, that that uh, You can find it at our website, uh, 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 just The Essentials of a Catholic Home by John Hamberty. Really good article. So I, I wanted to mention that. So there we go. Let me let me. What are we looking at time-wise? Oh, we got plenty of time here. Let's see. Now, this is about um, a poem that was uh, uh, written by John Godfrey Sachs. He called it a Hindu fable, H-I-N-D-O-O. Uh, and it's a lovely little poem. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, uh, One of the lines is... Um, uh, so often theologic wars, the disputants, I ween... Tread on the on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prate about the elephant. Not one of them is seen. <laughs> so, I think this was in reference to my talking about the five blind men who went to see an elephant, uh, and they so they went to a circus, and one of them grabbed the leg and said an elephant's like a tree, another grabbed the trunk and said an elephant's like a fire hose, and so on. But we who are if if you're sighted, you stand back and you look and say, what's an uh, an elephant looks like an elephant. God sees the universe, and He thinks. Seven days. Actually, he thinks instantly. He, every moment of the universe is is the same for him. I think. Uh, um, the the uh, we can argue about is it fourteen billion years, seven days? Was the flood a literal flood? God sees these things, and uh, he says, "There's not it's not the elephant so much as the uh, it's not." Uh, 
it's it's like nothing. The elephant is like nothing so much as an elephant. So we Catholics appreciate the mystery. We do not need to touch the elephant. And I think the use of mystery there, I, I don't know if uh, if the the sender Jonathan uh, intended this. Uh, but I think the word mystery is most appropriate. Usually we say, well, I don't understand it, but, well, I trust God. That's a good a good approach. But remember the word mystery means secret. That's what it means. And uh, the universe, well, 14 billion years and billions and billions of galaxies, it, there's a secret in there. You know what the secret is? God loves us, and he made all this for his pleasure and uh, to bring us about. Uh, it's a wonderful book I was reading that I can't, can't remember right now, uh, but, but exactly that. took 14 billion years to get this little planet ready as a nice home for us. Beautiful, beautiful book. All right. All that said, we're going to go to a break. We will come back with a word of the day, and um, then we'll open the phones at 888-914-9169. I'm sure that's it. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Father Rich Simon. Have you ever dreamt of seeing the sights in Italy? St. Peter's Basilica, the Sistine Chapel, Drew Mariani in the Colosseum fighting to the death? More info on our September Eucharistic Revival Pilgrimage at relevantradio.com slash Italy. Seats are limited, not in the Colosseum necessarily, but on, on the pilgrimage. Father Simon says. This is an hour of obscure facts masquerading as scholarship. On Relevant Radio. Hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone? It pays paradise, put up a parking lot. Ain't it the truth? Ain't it the truth? All right, moving along. The phones are very, very open. 888-914-9149. Please, if you have a question, don't wait until the last 30 seconds. 888-914-9149. But before we go to phone calls, I want to go to the word of the day. Oh, that's right. I wanted to say thank you very much for the pledge drive. It's just, it, it just was amazing. We hit our goal handily and, you know, it just, it's just wonderful the way people are so, so, uh, um, kind and so generous to, to, uh, uh, to this, uh, to this, this apostolate of relevant radio. And as I always say, this is your work, and it's to your credit. God bless you and, and keep you. Now, let's go to the word of the day. Did we hear the gong? We heard the gong, didn't we? Now, um, didn't I say Nephilim was going to be the, the, the word of the day? No, no, I didn't. I said Levin was going to be the word of the day. Levin, chametz. I think that's the word in Hebrew. <laughs> Levin. Levin, oddly enough, in Hebrew thought, is a sign of corruption. You know, you leave something out and it goes bad. Well, it's yummy tasting corruption. I, I like uh, a nice fluffy Italian bread with a hard crust and, you know, it's great stuff. But why is leaven a sign of corruption? Well, because it is a kind of, a kind of putrefaction. 
<laughs> it's it's a yeast that that um, swells up and um, well, it can it can spoil things. But that said, on the day before Passover, the 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 uh, the, the, the Thursday. Uh, well, let's say, well, let's think. If Passover is on a Friday. I believe it would be the Thursday. Uh, if they do the search, I, I'm, I should look this up, but they do the search for the Hametz, the search for the leaven. And they get, they go with a flashlight or a candle or some source of light, and they make a great show of looking at all the corners and everything. You have to have everything leavened out, out of your house, everything leavened. You can give it to a neighbor who's a Gentile, something like that, and, and you make a contract uh, with that uh, neighbor to to um, buy all of the leaven in your house. In other words, uh, they give you a quarter, and then they own all the leaven in your house. After Passover, you give them the quarter back. In other words, you don't have any leaven. And if by mistake there's something leaven in your house, it doesn't belong to you. That's the idea. Leaven is unclean for the Passover. It isn't It isn't a forbidden thing, but for the Passover, it's unclean. If you look for kosher products, you'll see kosher lipsach, which means kosher for the Passover, or just kosher. Now that you know. <laughs> All right. So the leaven is a sign of, of, uh, of uncleanness regarding especially the Passover. Not regarding other things, but the Passover. Now... He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What does that mean? You don't see leaven. Leaven leaven isn't something. And by the way, leavened bread is valid matter for uh, the the Holy Eucharist. The the Eastern churches, both the, the Orthodox and, and Byzantine Catholics, use leavened bread. It is it is because you see leaven uh, yeast contributes nothing substantial to the bread. Bread must be made of only wheat and water. The leaven only, uh, I don't know how else to put this, but the leaven only contributes gas. That's why there are holes in the bread, because the leaven is, is in a sense, in the bottom of the mixture, sort of putrefying. And the leaven is gone, but the gas, the nothing, the nothing, the big, huge, showy nothing. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a woman kneading leaven and yeast into the bread, kneading leavening into the bread, uh, because the uh, uh, the kingdom of God grows and you don't see it. It's 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 an unseen thing. That's a good thing. That that this wonderful power of God uh, um, expands without our knowing how or when or why it just does this leaven is not good leaven the leaven of the pharisees it's a nothingness that takes something over it makes it look big and important herod you know there were a couple groups that kind of were out to get jesus the pharisees not all of them some pharisees were were commerce they didn't want jesus handed over the gentiles but they did want to end his heresy many of them the sadducees were quite fine in just killing jesus that wasn't leaven. That was that was just boom. Now you see it. Now you don't. But the leaven of the Pharisees was this subtle thing. They didn't want to have this this public execution of Jesus. They just wanted him gone. 
And the Herodians, I think they were kind of government spies who kind of mingled in with the crowd. And if Jesus said anything bad about the Romans, they would have reported it to Herod's people who would have reported to Pilate, and that would solve that problem. And they wouldn't be blamed. Well, moving along here, this leaven, it makes something look big and important and, and, and intimidating, such as the Pharisees are very devout. Herod is very powerful. Well, no, they aren't. You know, Herod wasn't powerful. The Pharisees weren't powerful. They're gone. Well, the Pharisees still do exist as rabbinic Judaism, but but that kind of uh, 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 Pharisaic religiosity, Jesus said, that's over. Um, You know, the Pharisees uh, should be treated with great respect. Uh, They were very heroic, uh, many of them, but some of them kind of, well, made it difficult. Don't want to go into that today. But you see this idea of leaven. And I can feel I am just so religious and I'm so devout. I have I have the biggest Bible in the prayer meeting. And, you know, I'm on every committee at church. Is that leaven or is that sanctity? Is it piety? Are you, are you imitating Christ or are you really just puffing yourself up with the nothing of leaven? All right. That said, beware. Watch out. Because that leaven, it just infects something and you don't even notice it yourself. You know, I convince myself I'm devout when, in fact, I am just puffed up. I could have said that more briefly. That said, let's go to phones. This is smart. Maxwell's smart. Well, we've got we've got uh, Steve from Bozeman, Montana. Nice place. Steve, what can I do for you? Yeah, <clears throat> Father, I was wondering if we have any um, traditions about how the Holy Family used um, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh um, that were given as gifts um, by the wise men, um, you know, after after kind of the infancy of Jesus. None that I know of. Myrrh, however, was considered an anointing spice for the dead. That's often commented on. And the, the meanings of them, gold, gold uh, symbolized a king, uh, frankincense uh, symbolized a priest because you offered frankincense with the offerings, and myrrh symbolized uh, the death and resurrection of Christ because it was a spice used for uh, interring the dead. But other than that, I personally know of none. I'm sure there were, were some later things. I wonder if uh, Aunt Catherine Emmerich might not have had visions of that, but I know of none. Mm-hmm. So wish I could be more helpful. I'll try and look it up and cool. see if there are any. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Father. All right. Well, interesting. God bless, Steve. Thanks for listening. Yep. Let's go to Greg yep, from... <clears throat> Let's go to Greg from Buckeye, Arizona. Hi, Father Simon. Um, we just love Relevant Radio, so thank you so much. Um, my question is about the famous John 3.16. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world that he yes. gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. So what is the ah. correct... Yes, Greek or translation (laughs) for that. (laughs) I will look at this. God so loved the world, so that the son, his son, his that he gave his only begotten son, so that every one and it's individual, every every individual, it's the single form of that verb. Trusting, I always translate believing as trusting, but that's not the big deal. Trusting in Him. now, this is a very diff- difficult uh, kind of thing. Let's see here. 
It is, uh, the verb is, oh, good grief. I just, I'm looking at the verb. It's, uh, hang on to your, your socks. It should not perish. It is a subjunctive. This is, we don't do subjunctives. You know, uh, for instance, in English, you know, we always say, it might rain today. That's not proper. We're supposed to say, it may rain today. If it rains, Mm -hmm. if it had rained, I might have gone. You know, there's this thing called the sequence of tenses that we don't have anymore in English. So you have to have a subjunctive. And literally Mm -hmm. what it means is uh, God so gave love the world that he gave his only begotten son so that everyone believing or trusting in him. And, and, um, uh, and this is an odd construction. It's, you know, they always, I don't know if you knew the good old King James trusting unto the Lord. It's, it's, this is a, 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 a preposition that implies, uh, motion. So it's almost like relying on him, you know, believing into him. That's literally what it means, but it's, it's, um, it, it's the proper way to say that. And then it says, everyone believing him, lest he may perish. And that's expressed in English, in classical English, by should. That's a subjunctive. Should. Should you go, then I will go. It's a subjunctive. It's merely a grammatical thing. It isn't a, a kind of, when we use the word should, we mean you should go. In other words, we use it as a kind of, indirect command that's not the sense of it in good old king james english so i don't know if this answers your question it's translated just as well will yeah some of the translations say might you know like in in the next verse it says um might be saved um but the the thing that came up was uh i think the king james has shall um Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but the, you know. And so there's a uh, very uh, popular uh, Protestant minister, and he is saying that the translation of "shall" means that you know it's concrete. You will not yeah. perish if you believe that's not, in him. That's not true. That's not true. The 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 sense of it is. Uh, it's, it's, I, I think, oh gosh, it's been a long time since I've really used this kind of grammatical stuff, but, um, it's what we call a purpose clause. He sent his son with the purpose that, that people not perish. It isn't mm-hmm. a done deal. Uh, uh, it, it isn't a done deal. And the word is not shall. It is closer to should in English so that everyone who believes in him might not perish. Uh, um, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and again, when when that commentator is, is translating the word "believe," he's using kind of what we call a forensic interpretation, one that you you would use in a courtroom, I suppose. But that's why I'm so insistent on using the word "trust" instead of the word "believe," because so that everyone trusting in Him, God sent His Son for the purpose of of those who trust, who will trust in Him, who are trusting in Him might not perish that's a little different than than if you think jesus is lord then you're going to heaven and that's kind of what this guy is saying uh you know it's always interesting to me that that they don't read the other sections of scripture the word jesus says those say lord lord not everyone shall enter the kingdom of heaven i mean 
you know, you have to obey because you don't obey the Lord. You're not trusting him. You know, that, that uh, uh, oh, I trust Jesus, but I'm going to I'm going to sin like crazy because, well, I'm trusting Jesus. That's that doesn't work that way. Is that mm-hmm. does this help a little? Yes, this helps uh, because, you know, I've always believed that, you know, of course, we have free will so that, yeah. you know, you, you, I mean, it's not a done deal. It's uh, no, it actually said that uh, they could presume that. You can. It's okay to presume that if you believe, you you can presume that you are going to heaven. That's well. You can you can hope. We Catholics they talk about the assurance of salvation, and I remember talking to a great a great Protestant theologian, uh, who said you can be absolutely assured of your salvation. And I said, you know, you come for the altar call. He said, well, we don't do altar calls much at our place because you might think by the work of coming up, you're saved and you can't be saved by a work. So you might have a false assurance of salvation. I said, you can have a false assurance of salvation. He said, yes. I said, so then you can't be absolutely assured of your salvation. He said, yes, you can be absolutely assured of your salvation. I said, but it can be a false one. He said, yes. And I said, oh, I understand. I understood. Thank God I'm a Catholic. Uh-huh. And I can hear some priests say, I absolve you in the name of the Lord. You know, that, 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 um, that we Catholics, we talk about a moral uh, we can have a moral assurance of salvation. In other words, I know whom I'm trusting. And if I do not fight him, you know, I may be a sinner. I may have weakness in my life, but I'm trusting Jesus. And by the end of my life, he's going to give me enough time to, to genuinely repent. So I, I, we can have our, our it's funny. I think the Catholic assurance of salvation is a greater assurance than than if people really understood this idea of false assurance of salvation. That's part of that Calvinist theology and, and Lutheran theology. It, it's it's daunting because how do you know you're saved? Well, Calvin said you couldn't know that you were saved, uh, but that's changed among many of his followers. So it's very complex theology. However, uh, the the passage that you mentioned, it's the, the the emphasis God sent His Son, this great act of love, for the purpose of those trusting in Him, uh, to to not be lost. For that purpose, and it's it's what you call I think I think it would be called the purpose clause even in Greek. So I hope that helps a little. I think you're absolutely right in your theology there. So, all right. Yes, thank you so much, Father Simon. Well, God Have bless, and thanks for listening. God all right, you. let's go to you Greg. Bet. Let's go to Greg from. Okay, God bless. Let's go to Greg from Buckeye, Arizona. What can I do for you? Oh, that was Greg from Buckeye. Never mind. Let's go to Athena from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, Athena? Hello? Yes. Hello. Yes. What can I do for you? Yes. Hi. Um, I just have a um, just a little predicament. Um, I have a friend who is openly bisexual. She's a very mm-hmm. nice, sweet person, um, and she is aware of the fact that I am practicing Roman Catholic and do not support that mm-hmm. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But she keeps coming to me for relationship advice mm-hmm. as as Cause, because the most recent incident was that she was asked out by a woman the other day, and mm-hmm. she said she said she rejected the woman, but she then came to me for advice as to how she should have reacted or if she was in the right for rejecting them. And I honestly didn't know what to say because <laughs> yes, yes. I, what you can say is, what would I know about this? I I had a friend years ago um, who is now gone and i pray with the lord uh but 
he would call me about relationship advice. Now, I had not dated him since I was in college many, many years before. And I would say to him, what do I know about this? You know, so, uh, you know, you know, I would say to her next time, you know, I really don't know about these relationships. I know about my relationship to Christ. Can I pray with you? Even over the telephone, mm. can I pray with you? That's what I would do. I would say, I just don't know. I, there's no advice I can give you on this because you know my position. Um, I love you. And can I pray with you? Because you got to get a, the, the first relationship you need to have is with, with Christ. You want to bring her to Christ. You don't want to bring her to religion. Christ will bring her to religion. Uh, you can bring her to religion by the example of your own life. But, you know, you want to bring people first to Christ and then he will straighten them out. So I would just say, I can't help you with this. I'm, I, don't, I don't know the first thing to say about this, but I certainly can help you have a relationship with Christ. So I hope that helps a little, Athena. God bless you. And these are certainly strange times. However, Drew will see us through them with prayer. <laughs> 